Greetings, and welcome to Stars and Stuff, the astronomy podcast brought to you by me, Richard J. Bartlett. In this episode, there's the usual news and trivia question, plus I'll talk about a special Christmas Eve and review some of the astronomical highlights for 2020. It's the holiday season again. For me, like many others, this means Christmas is upon us, but it also means a special memory for me. It reminds me of when I first became interested in the stars, and I'm about to give away my age here, so pay attention. It was Christmas Eve, 1977. I was six years old and Star Wars had recently been released in the UK. Way back then, films would be released internationally months after their premiere in the US. Nowadays, of course, to avoid piracy, they're pretty much released everywhere simultaneously. Anyway, we were one of the last places in the world to see it, so we'd already heard a lot about it on TV and about how big it was. I hadn't seen it yet. I'd have to wait until my 7th birthday the following June for that, but my brother had, and he'd suddenly developed a fascination for the stars. So that Christmas Eve, we were in the car with my parents, and on our way to pick up my great aunt for Christmas. The roads were dark and the skies were clear, and I can remember my brother pointing out the constellations to me. The dome of the sky seemed to turn as the car turned, changing our view as though we were looking up at the simulated sky of a planetarium. He knew Orion and Taurus, and Sirius, the brightest star in the sky. I remember him showing me Jupiter too. At that time, the planet was just entering the constellation of Gemini, the twins, and the almost full moon hung close to it. Meanwhile, Mars was rising over the eastern horizon, but my brother was apparently unaware of that. I can remember being fascinated, but I can't tell you why. I can't tell you what my brother told me, if anything, to inspire my lifelong love affair with the stars. And I can't say I would have developed an interest in astronomy without his impromptu star show. I just know that there was something magical about that night. It was more than Christmas, more than Santa Claus and more than toys. Here were the stars, distant diamonds of light. They had lit the night for thousands of years and will continue to shine for millennia more. What could be more magical than that? There have been a lot of news stories over the past 10 days, and with the holidays coming up, it'll probably be pretty quiet between now and the end of the year. But here's what's been happening since the 10th. Astrophysicists are redrawing the textbook image of pulsars, the dense whirling remains of exploded stars, thanks to NASA's Neutron Star Interior Composition Explorer, or NISA, an X-ray telescope aboard the International Space Station. Using NISA data, scientists have obtained the first precise and dependable measurements of both a pulsar's size and its mass, as well as the first ever map of hotspots on its surface. The pulsar in question lies in an isolated region of space some 1,100 light-years away in the constellation of Pisces. While measuring the pulsar's heft and proportions, NISA revealed that the shapes and locations of multi-million degree hotspots on the pulsar's surface are much stranger than previously thought. Jupiter's South Pole has a new cyclone. The discovery of the massive Jovian Tempest occurred on November 3, 2019 during the most recent data-gathering flyby of Jupiter by NASA's Juno spacecraft. It was the 22nd flyby during which the solar-powered spacecraft collected science data on the gas giant, soaring only 2,175 miles or 3,500 kilometers above its cloud tops. Prior to the flyby, five storms had been observed surrounding a central storm at the South Pole. 
Juno revealed a sixth storm, and while it's smaller than the others, it's still roughly the size of Texas. Researchers have discovered gigantic clouds of gaseous carbon spanning more than a radius of 30,000 light years around young galaxies. This is the first confirmation that carbon atoms produced inside of stars in the early universe has spread beyond galaxies. No theoretical studies have predicted such huge carbon cocoons around growing galaxies, which raises questions about our current understanding of cosmic evolution. New observations of the center of our home galaxy have allowed astronomers to reconstruct, for the first time, the history of star formation in the center of the Milky Way. Previously, it was assumed that stars in the so-called nuclear stellar disk had formed continuously over the past billions of years. Instead, the new results imply a burst of star formation activity more than 8 billion years ago, followed by a quiet period, and then another burst of activity about 1 billion years ago. The rewritten evolutionary history has consequences for the formation of the bar-shaped feature of our galaxy's disk. On December 17th, the names of 112 sets of exoplanets and host stars were announced at a press conference in Paris, France. Within the framework of the International Astronomical Union's 100th anniversary commemorations in 2019, 112 countries organized national campaigns that stimulated the direct participation of over 780,000 people worldwide, who proposed and selected names for each exoplanet and its host star. Names include mythological figures from Ireland, ancient cities from Jordan, gemstones from Malaysia, and prominent rivers in Burkina Faso. Supermassive black holes in the centers of galaxies are increasingly found at distances that correspond to an age of the universe of just a few hundred million years. Astronomers have now gained important insights into how these objects may have grown so rapidly. They have detected extended hydrogen clouds around 12 of 31 observed active black holes and their host galaxies, and it's these hydrogen clouds that have provided sufficient food for the black holes. In a similar story, a distant galaxy more massive than our Milky Way, with more than a trillion stars, has revealed that the cores of massive galaxies in the universe had already formed one and a half billion years after the Big Bang, about one billion years earlier than previous measurements revealed. After 10 years of successfully publishing an award-winning daily audio astronomy show, the 365 Days of Astronomy podcast is poised to enter its second decade of sharing astronomy with the world. Initially planned as a one-year project launched January 1, 2009 as part of the International Year of Astronomy celebration, 365 Days of Astronomy has become a legacy project with more to come. The next decade will become another important milestone for space exploration and astronomical discoveries, and the podcast will continue to communicate these discoveries and educate the public. The European Space Agency's CHEOPS mission lifted off at 9.54am Central European Time on December 18th on its exciting mission to characterize planets orbiting stars other than the Sun. Signals from the spacecraft received at Mission Control Center nearly three hours later confirmed that the launch was successful. CHEOPS, the characterizing exoplanet satellite, is the European Space Agency's first mission dedicated to extrasolar planets or exoplanets. It will investigate known planets beyond our solar system and provide key insights into the nature of these distant alien worlds. Lastly, staying with exoplanets, Super Puffs may sound like a new breakfast cereal, but it's actually the nickname for a unique and rare class of young exoplanets that have the density of cotton candy. Nothing like them exists in our solar system. 
New data from NASA's Hubble Space Telescope have provided the first clues to the chemistry of two of these super puffy planets, which are located in the Kepler 51 system. This exoplanet system, which actually boasts three superpuffs orbiting a young sun like star, was discovered by NASA's Kepler Space Telescope in 2012. However, it wasn't until 2014 when the low densities of these planets were determined. The recent Hubble observations allowed a team of astronomers to refine the mass and size estimates for these worlds, independently confirming their puffy nature. Though no more than several times the mass of the Earth, their hydrogen and helium atmospheres are so bloated they are nearly the size of Jupiter. In other words, these planets might look as big and bulky as Jupiter, but are roughly a hundred times lighter in terms of mass. Winter officially begins on the 22nd at 4.20am Universal Time. If you live in the United Kingdom, that's the same as Greenwich Mean Time, while for those in North America, the solstice occurs late on the 21st. Venus continues to dominate the evening twilight sky. After passing Saturn on the 10th, it's now setting about two and a half hours after the Sun and appears roughly 84% illuminated when observed through a telescope. The crescent moon hangs nearby on the 28th. Saturn itself is now too close to the Sun for observation. Its planetary sibling, Jupiter, is also lost within the Sun's glare and is in conjunction with the Sun on the 27th. Likewise, you will have to wait until January to see Mercury, when it will make an appearance in the evening sky. So that leaves us with Mars, Uranus and Neptune. Neptune, the most distant planet, is still meandering through the faint stars of Aquarius and sets at about 10.30pm. Uranus is in Aries and is due south at about 8pm. It remains visible throughout most of the night and sets at about 3.15 in the morning. As for Mars, it's still creeping away from the Sun in the pre-dawn sky and is visited by the crescent moon on the 23rd. The moon itself turns new on the 26th and there's an annular solar eclipse too, but you'll need to be in the Eastern Africa, South Asia or Indian or Pacific Oceans to see it. Lastly, the Ursid meteor shower reaches its maximum on the 22nd. These meteors are relatively slow, but not particularly bright, but fortunately the moon is nearly new at this time. Under ideal conditions, you could expect to see about 10 shooting stars an hour. We're almost at the end of the year, and it seems like the perfect opportunity to look forward to the year ahead. What celestial events can we look forward to in 2020? The quadrantid meteor shower reaches its maximum on the 3rd of January and is relatively unhindered by the first quarter moon. Under ideal conditions, you could expect to see 120 meteors an hour. There's a full moon and a penumbral lunar eclipse on the 10th, and then, 10 days later, on the 20th, the waning crescent moon appears close to Mars in the morning sky. Keep your binoculars close around the 27th. You'll need them to spot Venus passing Neptune about 2 hours after sunset. If you've never seen Mercury, you will have a good opportunity around the 10th of February. The planet is furthest from the Sun at that time and should be visible as a pinkish white star towards the west after sunset. Observers on the west coast of North America get a rare opportunity to see an occultation of Mars by the crescent moon on the morning of the 18th. The crescent moon will then go on to pass Jupiter and Saturn in the pre-dawn sky over the next two mornings. Moving on to March, you'll need binoculars again to see Venus pass another planet. This time it's distant Uranus. The pair can be seen close together in the evening sky a few hours after sunset around the 8th. The waning crescent moon appears close to Mars and Jupiter in the pre-dawn sky of the 18th. 
Mars and Jupiter will be particularly close. Come back over the next few days to see the red planet pass its slower sibling. The two are closest on the morning of the 20th. Mars will then catch up to Saturn around the 31st. Be sure to look out for Venus in the evening sky around the 3rd of April. It will be passing through the Pleiades star cluster, and although you can see both with just your eyes, you will need binoculars or a telescope to get the most out of it. The last quarter moon passes Jupiter, Saturn and Mars, in that order, in the morning sky from the 14th to the 16th of April. Lastly, look out for the Lyrid meteors around the 23rd. It's a new moon that same day, so you should see more shooting stars than usual. May is a little quiet until the middle of the month. The waning gibbous moon appears close to Jupiter and Saturn in the pre-dawn sky around the 12th, and then catches up to Mars on the 15th. Meanwhile, Mercury is returning to the evening sky and is close to Venus on the 20th and 21st. The waxing crescent moon forms a line with the pair on the 24th. Mercury will be furthest from the Sun in the evening sky on the 4th of June. In the morning sky, the waning gibbous moon revisits Jupiter and Saturn around the 8th and 9th of June. Grab those binoculars again on June 12th, as you may be able to spot faint Neptune close to Mars in the hours before sunrise. Lastly, a week later, on the 19th, the waxing crescent moon provides a nice photo opportunity when it appears next to Venus in the evening sky. If you live in North America, there's an opportunity to see a penumbral eclipse of the moon on July 4th. If you live on the east coast, maximum eclipse occurs at 12.29am on the 5th, that's 9.29pm for observers on the west coast. You won't see the moon turn orange, but as the moon is passing through the outer edges of the Earth's shadow, it might appear a little dimmer than usual. Jupiter and Saturn are also close by, and both planets are very well placed for observation. Jupiter reaches opposition, and its best visibility for the year, on July 14th, while Saturn follows just six days later. If you're an early riser, you'll have yet another chance to see Mercury. You'll find it in the morning sky from about the 17th onwards. The waning crescent moon will appear nearby on the 18th and 19th. Nearly full moon passes Jupiter and Saturn on the evening of August 1st and then, eight days later, you can catch the waning gibbous moon close to Mars in the pre-dawn sky. However, the highlight of the month is the Perseid meteor shower on the 12th, but unfortunately, the moon might prove to be a little problematic. It's a waning crescent and won't rise until the early hours of the morning, but it'll be in the constellation of Taurus, the bull, and not far from where the Perseids originate. That being said, you should still see a few shooting stars earlier in the evening. Keep an eye out for Venus in the pre-dawn sky too. It's at its furthest distance from the Sun on the 12th. Mars continues to rise earlier with each passing day. Look out for a waning gibbous moon close to it in the evening sky on September 5th. Neptune reaches opposition on the 12th and is visible throughout the night, while Venus is within the same binocular field of view as the Beehive star cluster around the 13th. It won't be quite as spectacular as when Venus was among the Pleiades earlier in the year, but it should still be worth seeing. A crescent moon will also be nearby on the 13th and 14th. By the 24th, the moon has returned to the evening sky and appears as a half-moon close to Jupiter and Saturn. October begins with Mercury clinging to the southwestern horizon after sunset. Meanwhile, in the morning sky, you can see Venus very close to Regulus, the brightest star in Leo the Lion, on the 2nd. A waning gibbous moon appears close to Mars on the 3rd, 11 days before the red planet reaches opposition on the 14th. If you have a telescope, you'll want to make the most of this, as the planet won't look this good until 2033. 
the nearly half moon is close to Jupiter and Saturn on the 22nd and then appears nearly full and close to Mars again on the 29th. Lastly, Uranus reaches opposition on Halloween, making October the second month this year with two planetary oppositions. There's another a good opportunity to see Mercury in the morning sky during the first two weeks of November. Venus is also nearby and a crescent moon will visit them both on the 12th and 13th. Another meteor shower, the Leonids, reached their maximum on the 17th and with the moon just past new, you should have good chance of seeing a few shooting stars. Speaking of the moon, look out for a crescent moon close to Jupiter and Saturn in the evening of the 18th. Lastly, the month ends on the 30th with a penumbral lunar eclipse. Visible from North America and Western Europe, the moon will be among the stars of Taurus. The year comes to an end fairly quietly. The first few weeks of December are relatively uneventful, but you'll see a crescent moon close to Venus in the pre-dawn sky of the 12th. The Geminid meteors reach their maximum the following day, and with the moon nearly new, this is another great show to watch out for. You should also look out for Jupiter and Saturn in the evening sky. They've been drawing closer over the course of the year, and will be at their closest on the 21st. This is a very close pairing, and you won't see them this close until 2080. As an added bonus, you can catch a crescent moon within the same binocular field of view as both planets on the 16th. Incidentally, all of these events are detailed in two of my books. The first, 2020, An Astronomical Year, is for the more experienced astronomers and has a lot of data and relevant information about the moon and planets throughout the year. The other, 2020, The Night Sky Sights, is mostly aimed at beginners and highlights the events you can see without a telescope. Both have text and images describing the best events and are available through Amazon. Here's this episode's trivia question, and once again it comes from my book, The Daily Astronomical and Space Quiz Book. So here it is. Which of the following is not a winter constellation? Is it A. Virgo, B. Orion, C. Canis Major, or D. Gemini? I'll give you the answer in just a few moments. In the meantime, here's some pretty music. So the answer to the trivia question is A, Virgo. A spring constellation, Virgo is famous for being home to a multitude of distant galaxies. Incidentally, returning to the winter constellation of Orion, the red giant star Betelgeuse, which marks one of Orion's shoulders, is currently fading. No one quite knows why or what will happen next, but be sure to keep your eye on it over the next few months. That's it for another episode. As always, if you liked it, and I hope you did, please subscribe and tell your friends. You can find Stars and Stuff on the iHeartRadio app, Spotify, Apple and Google, among others, or by going to tinyurl.com forward slash snspod. Again, if you're interested in my books, you can find them at tinyurl.rjbamazon-us in the United States and tinyurl.com forward slash rjbamazon-uk in the United Kingdom. You're also welcome to email me at astronomywriter at gmail.com with any comments or questions you might have. Thanks for listening, and until we talk again, clear skies to you.